celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. Coming to you from coast to coast, to the world via the World Wide Web, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Uh, this is yours truly, Brian Chilton. Uh, we're joined alongside with our co-host, uh, with our co-host, uh, the cowboy apologist, Curtis Evelo. And so tonight, believe it or not, uh, we are almost at the end. We're really technically speaking as far as uh, what we're we're presenting to you, this will be the last episode in soteriology, which is the study of salvation. Next week will be the official end of the of the series on uh, soteriology, as we're going to have on with us uh, Dr. T.J. Gentry. He's going to discuss uh, his upcoming book coming out this May, entitled uh, "Leaving Calvinism, Finding Grace." And that's going to be uh, presented for the I, – I don't know if he's had other books through this uh, publishing press or not, uh, but but his book will be coming to you from Illative House Press, a new upstart uh, publishing company. So Illative House Press uh, will be publishing that. My book, Conversations on Heaven, I heard back from the editor. All systems are a go. We had a few – I had a few edits and needed a tweak uh so got them submit resubmitted to them uh and it is ready to roll uh probably in a couple of months it'll be ready to publish so i dare say quite frankly around may of this year uh barring any major changes around may be anticipating the release of conversations about heaven uh so late spring maybe early summer late spring early summer should be the release uh, window for conversations about heaven, and I think this is going to be a book that's going to benefit and bless many people. Uh, and we'll talk more about that. We may even start season seven with a little, ex- a little uh, introduction to that book. Uh, if maybe may, even if we have to start, you know, maybe a a, a week early, uh, we can talk a little bit more about that whenever the time comes. But but nonetheless, uh, we're so glad that you're here with us tonight. Uh, we got a lot of wonderful things to discuss to you. Uh, talking about the means and extent of salvation, we're looking at uh, issues of how people are saved. We're going to look at things concerning liberation theology. We're going to look at the sacramental theology, many other evangelical perspective. We're going to take a look at uh, issues of atonement. Uh, who's saved? How many people are saved? And what's the extent? We're going to be dealing with that and a whole lot more on tonight's episode of the Bellator Christie podcast. So we're going to flip it now over to our capable and and wonderful cowboy apologist, the one and only Curtis Evelo. And Curtis, I understand uh, that uh, your daughters won some awards this past week, did they not? In some in a competition? Oh yeah, yes. They uh, she she was uh, in a the shooting sports competition. So for, for 4-H and, uh, they, they do, um, they had state and they did, they, she did really well. Um, first year, uh, getting to that level in, uh, in the shooting sports and that's, 
you know, shooting at targets, um, laying in, in, in certain positions and then kneeling in certain positions, standing in certain positions. Um, yeah. So man, it sounds like she's a sniper in every position. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, dead eye Pete. <laughs> so, um, and uh, a uh, friend of hers, um, young man, it, uh, got the second highest score ever in the state of Montana for for pistol. So, um, yeah. So, might not want to come up here in Montana and raise some ruckus. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. So, anyway, um, you know, I should probably just start figuring out a way for. Just, and it's like, I, I should figure out a way to get these uh, headphones uh, underneath my cowboy hat, and then I could I could sit here with the dark brown cowboy hat and and be able to, uh, you know, actually look the part instead of you know. <laughs> <laughs> but this is my normal attire so uh this is just kind of how it is <laughs> nothing wrong with that hey let folks know if you're watching online uh we are uh i'm back in the old office closer to the router we've been having some uh, problems with uh streaming for some reason the past few weeks uh please understand both of us live in very rural areas and um and unfortunately, we just don't have the best internet server services available. Uh, it, it, that's unfortunate. You'd think in 2023, uh, living living in uh, the great nation that we do, that we would have better services for all people. But apparently, that's not always the case. But yeah. <laughs> we do with what we we deal deal with the cards we're, we're given. <laughs> well, the the signal up here is usually held together with a couple of you know, a couple of people holding the, holding the line and, and, and shipping it to one side or the other. And we, we, we shift it from one side of the highway to the other when we need it. So, uh, yeah. Well, they say the world's held together with uh, super glue and duct tape, duct tape. Yep. <laughs> duct tape and bubble gum. Hey man. I don't know. I, part of me is like, I really, I'm, I'm okay with the internet being slow. It's just, uh, it does play havoc with our, with our broadcasting stuff. It just kind of moves, moves us in a state that, uh, uh, a state of relaxation. We don't have to move at such a quick pace. So, yep. Yep. So anyway, um, last week's podcast was, was really great brian i really enjoyed it um we did we did hustle through quite a bit of it and i know that if there are questions um we have a team that can that can certainly uh answer or dive into further into the information that we did have on that podcast but um i want to just encourage people that you know daggummit it's it is 100 percent um, a offering of our ministry to to the listeners to just contact us, get a hold of us. We will uh, help direct in in any way. So, absolutely. 
So today is, uh, like you said, the last of the the series, um, twenty two episode twenty two, uh, means an extent of salvation. So let's just jump into this on this episode. Um, what aspects of soteriology uh, are we going to discuss as it pertains to the acronym TULIP? Yeah. So- You've heard us mention the acronym TULIP before because TULIP is based on the Calvinist notion of uh, uh, or the system of belief within Calvinism. T standing for for total depravity, U standing for unconditional election, uh, L standing for uh, limited atonement, I standing for irresistible grace, and P standing for perseverance of the saints. Uh, we discussed the depraved nature of humanity and argued that depravity was radical, uh, meaning that, yes, there's nothing within us that can save ourselves, but it's not so incapacitated that a person can no longer respond to God's grace because we still have that imagio Dei, the image of God uh, within us. Uh, this covered the uh, T section of TULIP. We discussed election and noted that it was not unconditional in the TULIP sense, but rather election came about by God's precognition of those who would respond to his free offer of grace. God knows all things past, present, future, and so it didn't take God by surprise uh, when when people respond to his grace. God knows how we would respond, who would respond. He knows everything about us. He knows how many hairs we have on our head, how tall we are. He knows everything about us, and he's unlimited in his knowledge. Um, and so we also covered the uh, U section of the acronym uh, when we talked about uh, well, we talked about the irresistibility of the, of of, uh, of or the resistibility of God's grace. We covered the I section there. Uh, we also handled the um, on previous podcasts we discussed the assurance that a believer finds in one salvation, thus covering the P section. So we've covered T U I and P, but we haven't really handled the L of tulip. So today, or rather tonight, we're going to finish out our series with a look into the L of tulip limited atonement, and and um, and uh, and discuss this is aspect of limited atonement. And so limited atonement in the Calvinist sense brings up several areas of discussion, such as how are we saved. To what extent are people saved? And does this include everyone? It, it does, is everyone eventually saved? All these are questions that come under the umbrella of, of the L section of TULIP. And we're going to come at this at a different perspective as we have comparable, but, but not, um, but not completely quite like the, uh, the, the, uh, L of TULIP tonight. So. I know that um, we we just I, I'd like to back up, but I know that we can we've had uh, a discussion or have had podcasts on um, atonement. But can you give me just a brief? Can you give our listeners just a brief of of what atonement is that we're um, discussing limited or 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 others based on you know what Christ did on the cross but what we what we see in atonement then okay so when we talk about atonement we're talking about uh our sins 
being atoned. Uh, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the penalty for our sins being removed. We're talking about, in fact, many people believe that the uh, the word atonement can simply mean at one uh being at one with God. And this comes about by, by the sacrificial uh, work of Christ, paying off the debt that we have, bringing us in communion with with the Father. And we're going to get into some of the more of the aspects of limited atonement and um and and unconditional unlimited atonement and I really don't like the word unlimited atonement quite frankly and I'll explain to you why but uh, the core essence and when we talk about limited or unlimited I've, I've got another word I'm going to use for it as we get into our next to last question uh, in the podcast tonight but the question when we talk about limited unlimited and other v- versions is. For whom did Christ die? Did he die for everyone or did he die for a few handful of people? That's the question really on the table when we talk about limited atonement. Uh, that's really the, the section. Well, for, and I'll go ahead and just tell you this. The Calvinist notion is that Christ only died for the elect of God. So Christ only sacrificed himself for those people who were chosen by God from the foundation of the world to be saved. And it didn't, it really didn't he really didn't have other people in mind when when he was uh sacrificed if that makes sense hmm. a whole lot of scripture running around right now oh yeah and we're going to get back to it we're going to get back to that and of course as we what uh, we our brother Scott McManus says died for everyone and and we're going to actually say yes sir and we're going to explain that here in just a few moments Scott bear with us we'll, we'll get back with you there so, so just hey, I tell quick. you what, the good news is, is uh, with this new means of Facebook, uh, we're, we're getting things fired up tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fired up. Yeah, so um, just to kind of back up, even just maybe give a little historical context in the the Jewish um, religion, Jewish understanding of it, it wasn't hard to explain to people what atonement was or what um, the sacrificial system was because it was part of their life. It was part of everything they did. They did. They lived and breathed that um, system. We in the Western culture, so not Western as in Western states, but the Western uh, region of the of the world have a little different understanding of it because we don't come from that type of system. So if you look at uh, in books of like um, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you'll start seeing a lot of those sacrificial uh, markers that come along with it and and um, how that sacrificial system was a getting rightness with God. And, and it was, it was um, viewed uh corporately <laughs> it was yeah. also viewed singularly um it was also viewed in uh instances where uh the priests would have to um uh to be able to even go in and and perform uh the rest of the sacrificial presentation um in the temple they'd have to take care of and atone for themselves first before they went and took care of it for the for the people so just understand that the very religion that birthed Christianity 
is is what we can base uh atonement from oh yeah absolutely so when we speak of the means of salvation what do we mean and what are the different schools of thought so when we talk about the means of salvation, we're really talking about how is it or, or, or by, by what situation or by what medium does God use to bring people to salvation. And we touched on this issue a little bit in an earlier podcast really early on in our soteriology series. And we talked about uh, things like liberation theology, sacramental theology, and others. I'm going to mention four, for the sake of argument, four schools of, uh, of thought as it pertains to the means of salvation. First of all, there's the liberation school of salvation. And this school holds that salvation comes through a change brought to the culture. Uh, and there are numerous subdivisions uh, found in this school of thought, and each one based around a culture, group, or gender that has at some point in time been mistreated. Uh, Mary Radford Ruther was a pioneer of feminist theology, which would be a form of liberation theology. Gustavo Gutierrez, uh, in his book Theology of Liberation, observed that the nature of theology morphed from a simple meditation on the Bible to growing in wisdom and spiritual growth. Then theology became known as rational knowledge and logic. However, in modern times, Gutierrez argues that theology is more about love and activity in the world around us. So Gutierrez, in this liberation movement, uh, describes theology in three levels. The first level being found in the aspirations of the oppressed. The second level involving people taking responsibility for their own destiny and actions. And the third and final level found is found in Christ's liberation of humanity from sin. Uh, for liberation theologian, salvation is eschatologically focused, meaning that ultimate redemption will come in the end. Well, the problem with liberation theology is not in what it says, but Millard Erickson argues, and I would agree, the problem with liberation theology is what it leaves in what it leaves out. Jesus undeniably focuses on the needs of the downtrodden and the oppressed. Uh, however, Jesus does not take the violent view that some advocates of liberation theology in times past have taken. For instance, Jesus teaches that a person should turn the other cheek in Matthew 5.39 and love one's enemies in Matthew 5.44. And additionally, rather than bringing salvation by social justice, social justice often comes from a salvific message of Christ. If you follow wherever Christianity has gone, that doesn't mean that every person uh, in the Christian movement has always brought about good things. But if you follow the different places where Christianity's gone, there's been a greater means of freedom for women. There's been a greater means of freedom for for uh, for people in general. Again, there are exceptions to this rule. But if you follow the trends in an overarching methodology, you see that liberation has come uh, when Christ has been preached. For instance, Curtis, we recently, I think yesterday was the International Women's Day, and a local Christian station mentioned the great freedoms that Christ brought to women. Christ yeah. met a woman on the well who was a different race, uh, who was from a different religion, and was in fact a woman, and met with her, saved her, and used her to bring a woman who had been divorced five times and married 
uh, in living with a man, use that lady to bring an entire community to faith. Uh, if we, if you look at how he dealt with women, uh, well, the women were the uh, last with him at, at the cross, and they were the first to see him alive. He entrusted the women of the group as the first messengers taking the gospel message, taking the resurrection message to the male disciples. So, again, when the message of Christ is preached and authentically preached, then, quite frankly, freedom comes in other means as well. Another school of thought is the sacramental view. Now, here we have to note that not all Catholics and Eastern Orthodox believers hold hold to exactly the same view. As we've mentioned in a previous podcast, Curtis grew up Catholic, and he was taught things in his church that a Catholic nun in our area did not necessarily hold to some degree. So we must concede that we're speaking in generalities here. Uh, However, Catholic theologian Joseph Poley writes that the justification of the sinner is ordinarily not a purely internal and invisible process or series of acts, but requires instrumentality of external visible signs instituted by Jesus Christ, which either confer grace or augment it. Such visible means of grace are called sacraments. So for many Catholics, not all, but many Catholics, three elements are necessary to constitute a sacrament, a visible sign, an invisible grace, and divine institution. The Council of Trent that they argue that John 3, 5 teaches the importance of visible and invisible sacraments. We're talking about a person's being baptized by blood and or, and what and the spirit and flesh. Uh, so they would argue that in also Acts 2, 38, Acts 22, 16, Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 26, and Titus 3, 5. The problem is twofold, though. First, there's no clear evidence that these passages relate baptism and other orders to the level that many have purported. And additionally, Hebrews 9 indicates that Jesus is the only high priest needed for the believer as he ushered in the new covenant. And also James 2, 18 through 26 describes the importance of faith that brings forth righteousness. So that's the sacramental view. There's a third view called the Pelagian view popularized by Pelagius of Alexandria, a guy who was later deemed a heretic, he believed and taught that a person was able to work for his or her salvation by their acts and deeds alone. And this view, Jesus is the ultimate example of how we should live. And to achieve salvation, a person only needs to live a good life and be a good person. Now, how many times have we heard that in our popular society? Just be a good person, be a nice person, and you can save yourself. Essentially, that's what it means. The problem with this view is multiple is is legionary, uh, is legion, quite frankly, because we see that we need God's grace to be saved. Uh, we need a a uh, God to even move in our lives as a first mover before we can respond to His grace. So there are legion, legions of problems uh, with the Pelagian viewpoint. And then finally, there's the evangelical perspective. Here we're not talking about political affiliations or perspectives as evangelicals are typically known. Here we're talking about the evangelical school of thought that holds that salvation comes by the grace of God extended to a person and received by faith. 
The evangelical view holds that God's grace is received sola gratis by grace alone and sola fides by faith alone. The grace of God extended to us and freely received by individuals. Uh, that's fairly, fairly much uh, constitutes the evangelical perspective. So four viewpoints. Uh, once again, the, the, uh, liberation theology. Number two, the sacramental theology. Number three, the Pelagian theology. And number four, the evangelical theology. Those are the four schools of thought. Hmm. This is going to get interesting. <laughs> so, which interpretation most closely aligns with scripture? Uh, see and this is why i had it back on the the screen to see what what facial expression you had there might Uh, bite my tongue on this one so there's let me just say there is a little element of truth to to all the perspectives that doesn't mean that all of them are aligned perfectly with scripture uh but even with the pelagian view um (laughs) Scott McManus says, good conversation. Sorry, must leave. Faith alone, keep preaching. And I say amen to that. Thank you, Scott. Um, Come back and join us anytime, my brother. Uh, So there's an element of truth to all the perspectives. But even with the Pelagian view, there's some truth that we need to follow the example that Christ gave us, uh, gave us through his life. But the major problem with Pelagianism is that a person must have the grace of God given to them before they can live a good life. To produce the fruit of the Spirit, a person must first have the Spirit of God living and dwelling in them. Unfortunately, some still believe that a person can can lose their salvation, but simply by sinning in some capacity. And that, that is a very Pelagian, you know, perspective because it's a work-based salvation. In such a case, you never have assurance. Uh, if you if you think a bad thought, you do a bad deed, you lose your salvation. What type of assurance can you have uh. with that? You know, what kind of type of assurance can you have with that at all? And a so, merry-go-round are you on? Exactly. And it's like a merry-go-round or or a roller coaster. You know, one day you're up, you're saved, and the next day you're down and you're lost. You never have any sense of assurance in that capacity. So there are, again, multiple problems with Pelagianism. Liberation theology is on point when it speaks to the social change that should come Isaiah tells us that uh, we need to seek justice, stand for the oppressed, uh, you know, stand up for the rights of others who can't stand up for themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think that's a Christian principle. But political and social change means nothing if there is no peace with God. That's right. uh, you know, in fact, the Bible even tells us that the Antichrist is going to promise peace and so you know, in social peace, social change at the end but he's just he's going to cause the greatest time of tribulation ever seen uh or or try to bring forth something of that sort so um because he's working against god so here again we've got to be careful with that eternal peace with god gives us the courage to stand up for the oppressed and the downtrodden not the other way around so the evangelical viewpoint most closely aligned lines excuse me, with Scripture more than any other. Uh, Scripture teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith. And I'm going to pull up some Scriptures. 
If you're with us on Facebook, hop over to youtube.com forward slash uh, Bellator Christie to see what we're getting ready to share. But I'm going to pull this up real quickly here. And let me know when you can see it first. Black screen right now. There it is. All right. Okay, so Ephesians 2.8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not, not from yourselves. Should I repeat that? Not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, for us to do so again this is not work-based it is not something that we can accomplish on our own we we can we can respond to god's grace but there's by no means can we ever or could we ever um earn salvation it's just not in scripture and let's take a look at another passage of scripture here uh romans uh chapter 3 verse 28 Romans chapter 3, verse 28 through 30. It says, For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? If if Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is one God, and how many gods? Just one. One God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary. Okay, now let's take a look at one last passage of Scripture. And these are very strong <laughs> in, their, yeah. in their assessment of God's grace. Uh, there, there's, just, there's just no room for doubt as to what they're saying. So Galatians 2, verse 16. I'm going to go back in... Um, Read verse 15. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human will being will be justified. For if we ourselves, let me read verse 17. For if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is God, Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, let's just go on down here to verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Now, of all the perspectives we just discussed, (laughs) quite frankly, only the evangelical view makes sense. And again, we're Mm -hmm. not talking about evangelicals in the sense of politics or, uh, or anything of that sort. We're talking about the perspective that that God's grace saves humanity. And when God moves in and through a person and in and through humanity, that can bring social change, that can bring about 
certain benefits that we should pursue and seek as believers. Uh, it's funny. I, I chuckle because um, I, I, I hear a pastor that I've heard years ago in my, in my ear um, when you say, uh, absolutely not. So like through this whole thing, you got these ones. Absolutely not. It, he says he's it, Paul is saying that with the equivalent of don't be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> don't be dumb. This, this, no, it's not how it is. You know, so. that's right. Yeah. So it's just funny how, how things um, you know, some pastors say that, uh, you know, there's only a few minutes of the sermon that people remember. Well, <laughs> that may be true. And sometimes you take it all the way and bring it back around and put it back on a podcast that you're doing six, seven, eight, ten years ago or later, you know, but so, yeah. Isn't it funny how God moves? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, uh. Let's changing gears here. Let's shift into another another gear. Five speed here. You know, um, going into overdrive. <laughs> we also need to speak to the extent to which people are saved. What are the different interpretations concerning the extent of salvation? Then, okay. So we ha- we have several viewpoints here. Um, so when we speak of the extent, and here's where we really get into the ale. Of tulip. Well, this is where we're really bringing it home when we come to that uh, that section. In fact, it's interesting that uh, some people will call themselves four point Calvinists. They said that they would agree with Calvinism with every point except for the L, except for the L. And so it's interesting that even among different varieties and flavors of Calvinism, that this is one of the most hotly contested of of the five points. So when we speak of the extent of atonement, four viewpoints stand out. Here again, we're talking about to what extent are people saved and to what extent did Christ die? To, for, for whom did Christ die, I guess we should say. So first, the limited atonement view, uh, often espoused, espoused by Calvinists, holds that only the elect are saved. Uh, so in other words, only when Christ died, he only died for the elect. Uh, those who were chosen for salvation before the foundation of the world. Uh, we've we've discussed some of these issues on previous yeah. podcasts, so there's really no need to dive into all of that now. But interestingly, the second viewpoint is often linked with Ar- Armenians, and I don't know that really Armenians. I mean, because quite honestly, this is the this is the terminology that Arminius used, and I don't think that it was the best uh, terminology to use for this. So where where Calvin used the term limited atonement, Arminius naturally used the term unlimited atonement. But the problem is here that there's some problems with his his language. Um, Armenians are often linked with with universalists at this point because if Christ died for all, then some would argue all must be saved, or so goes the accusation. To the point of the Calvinist, unlimited atonement is probably not the best title to use here. 
Arminius most assuredly didn't teach our, our universalism, nor did other uh, individuals who follow along those lines. So because of this accusation, though, we will use the title Unlimited Atonement with Universalism as it's understood by some people. Universalists understand or believe that all people will eventually be saved or are saved when they go to heaven. That's that's what universalists believe. Now, I'll be honest with you. If there was one heresy I wish were true, this would be it, because I wouldn't want to see anybody go to hell. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, and it's, I don't think it's God's desire to see anyone go to hell. I mean, so again, if there was one heresy I wish was true, this would be the one that I wish were true. Um, so the third interpretation is an alteration of the second viewpoint. I've heard some people argue, and I don't know that this is any scholarly work or anything, but I've heard people argue this on the streets and on radio programs. Some hold a viewpoint comparable to purgatory, uh, where they would say that uh, that for people who've done bad, that they'll go through purgatory or a hell-like place for a limited amount of time until their sins have been paid off. Uh, that's that's the viewpoint held here. And once once that time is over, then the person will eventually go to heaven. Um, but here again, is that what Scripture teaches? And you know, and so there's some reservations there as well. The fourth view is what. I think Arminius and other non-Calvinists are actually trying to communicate, but I don't think he did so with the terminology he used. I'm going to call this efficient atonement. And what it is to say is that Christ died, Christ's death, Christ's atonement is sufficient so that the world could be saved, but efficient so that the elect or those who respond to God's grace will be saved. So while Christ died, uh, Christ's atonement uh, could be, um, Christ's atonement could, could does in fact, he had the intention to save everyone in, in mind. It's only applied over uh, to those individuals who receive Christ. I want to say hello to our brother, Philip Atkins. Uh, he uh, joining in late, he says today, uh, said he's under the weather. We hope he gets to feeling better very soon. And and his wife, Vicki, she's been sick as well. So certainly praying for the Atkins family. So going back to the focus here, going back to the point at hand, while we should desire to see all people saved, uh, the reality is, is that many people will not respond to God's grace. And that is their prerogative. God will not force a person to respond uh, but if a person will not respond to God's grace on earth, the question I have in my mind, would, would they even respond to God's grace in eternity? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they would. No, you know, I really don't, because I think that if if they if they don't respond to the grace and loving kindness of God now, I don't think a person ever will. Hmm. You know, I just pointing out a thought that kind of come to my head when when we we're going through this um universalism and limited purgatory um you know and even if you look at it in the uh hard calvinist side of it what's what's jesus's death for then what what was the reason for for god to um sacrifice his lamb um really i mean when you think about it then then what was the point it's good it's a good question it's a valid question so I think what you pointed out, <clears throat> efficient uh, atonement um, and sufficient 
that all could be saved, but efficient uh, that that those who receive God's grace, who want to turn to God, can be saved. I think that's that's a really good way to put that. Um, I, I I really like that wording. Well, well, thank you. I, I think it better summarizes what we're actually trying to communicate than unlimited atonement does. Uh, I think that yeah, there again, I think a lot of the terms that Arminius used, he's responding. Put yourself in his perspective. He's responding yeah. to to Calvinist viewpoint. And Arminius is a reformed guy too. He was taught in in Calvinism yeah. and actually agreed with a lot of the tenets of the reform movement, but the problem he had was these five areas that was a central point or central focus. And uh, so when, when Calvin uses or Calvinists use a certain term like total depravity, he'll use another term for depravity when he talks about uh, (laughs) uh, limited atonement. He says, well, no, that's unlimited atonement, but there's problems with that language. And by the way, let me just say, from the works I've read, I haven't read everything that Arminius wrote, but from the things I uh, I read that he that he wrote about, I don't think he came down on hard stance on the fifth point. So he really majorly responds to four of the five points: the T U L and I of tulip. Yeah, and the it's kind of like almost like the Calvin Calvinism and Calvinists say blue, he says green. They say yeah. purple. He says red. You know, that's so, exactly right. I mean, it's like, boy, you guys, come on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, since we were speaking about what people, uh, about people receiving God's grace, how does a provisionist or a Molinist answer the question? What about those who have never heard the gospel message? And this is something I think that just finds itself square with what we're yep. discussing when we talk about issues of salvation. Right. Uh, and this is something I've often heard asked in uh, many different churches by many different people. And I think that the provisionist and Molinist both offer satisfactory answers uh, to this. Both ho- Both hold to the sovereignty of God and both hold to the freedom of humanity. The provisionist would say that God foreknows how each person responds and provides sufficient grace for all, efficient for those who will respond to his grace. Uh, The Molinist would say that God knows uh, the the people that would respond under certain circumstances, knows those circumstances with which they will respond. Therefore, he provides all who will respond to his grace, the knowledge and insight of the gospel message. There is still... Uh, he still extends grace to all, you know, quite honestly. But there's something I like. Uh, there, there's actually a book. have it on my shelf. It's been years since I, I've read it. And quite honestly, uh, it's one that I would like to uh, go back and reread, especially re- with this in mind. It's a, it's a book called Eternity in Their Hearts. And it's uh, the title comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Solomon writes that God has made everything. And let me, well, I can tell you what, let me pull this up since we're still on the scripture. Uh, let me pull this up right quick. Ecclesiastes uh, 3. For those of you, again, on our Facebook page, if you'd like to see the scripture reference, go over to youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christi, B E L L A T O R 
uh, C-H-R-I-S-T-I. So um, let's go back to verse 10. I have seen that the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Um I'll tell you what, let, let me just go ahead and, and, and go on for this. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and, to, and enjoy the good life. It's also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, enjoys all of its efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is has already been. Whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. So what is all this saying? Well, I think the primary message of the of the verse is that we're never going to know the full extent of what God is doing in our lives. However, the verse also indicates that each person is born with eternity in their heart. They're born with that knowledge of God, knowledge of the divine. It's the same thing we see Paul saying in Romans chapter 1, that we're all without excuse. Mm. God provides mm. maybe different kinds of light for us. But I think God has a way of reaching people in ways and could even realize. Uh, so God can give visions. He can give dreams. He can reveal himself to people in ways that we may not always understand. And I want to give you a true real-life story of how this may happen. When I was at Gardner-Webb University, I had a professor who was a missionary, and he was a missionary over in uh, Western, uh, not Western, excuse me, Eastern Europe, over in Eastern Europe quite for, a, for quite a bit of time. And he told the story, and I never will forget this. He told the story how the doors in Albania, Albania was at that time, I'm not sure what it is now, but at that time it was an atheistic country. The doors of opportunity opened for them to go and share the gospel of Christ. But when they went into Albania, on the western side of Albania, they found a Christian community dwelling. They didn't have a church, Bible, but they were able to quote scripture. They were singing songs of praise to God, and they knew the message of salvation, and they received salvation. They received Christ's salvation. And and they asked the folks there, how in the world do you did you know this? And they said what the Albanian government condemned, they could not stop the they still could not stop the airwaves from from reaching their radio stations. There was a Christian radio station in eastern Italy that was broadcasting the gospel message. Nice. They were able to listen and hear the preaching and teaching of God's word as well as uh, these Christian songs. So God had a way of reaching them when no one else could. And if he did it there on the western shores of Albania, there is no telling how God has reached people with the message of Christ. Now, we're to be faithful. We're to go out to the highways and hedges, preaching the gospel, sharing the message of Christ. But there again nothing supplants or replaces the work of the Holy Spirit as he reaches out uh, to a lost and dying world. Hmm. Wow. Well, there we laid out some, uh, some deep information there. Um, certainly, <laughs> certainly enjoy that. So um, 
Yeah, there's there's some there's some stuff there that I think is worth pondering over and uh, really digging through. Of course, we do have some other podcasts that uh, that go back and explain some of that stuff. So um, you can find that on some of the soteriology podcasts. Plus, uh, you can even go back and look. There's even some articles uh, on Bellator Christi that that help with this. So. There you have it, folks. Uh, we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and becomes a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, Soldier friends. On, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christie Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christie Ministries, go to bellatorchristie.com. If you enjoy the Bellator Christie podcast, why not join us for the live taping of the show? This show is recorded every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And to catch the live show, consider going over to youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. We hope to see you there.